This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where Democrats in the legislature are vowing to thwart the GOP plan to pass a new law targeting people who protest in public. They claim the governor is trying to use white supremacist violence in Washington to justify a crackdown on peaceful Black Lives Matter rallies in Florida. You cannot, on the one hand, condemn the violence that occurred at the nation's capital on January 6th, and on the other hand, support this bill, which was concocted as political red meat over the summer to excite the Republican base and play on fear and racial tension in America. This bill is the legislative equivalent of placing a knee on the neck of those who support and affirm the dignity of Black lives. Governor Ron DeSantis and Attorney General Ashley Moody both joined in Donald Trump's effort to overturn the election of Joe Biden. The Democratic leader of the state Senate says their lies about voter fraud undermined our democracy and helped enable the coup at the Capitol. I would hope that the governor and the attorney general would reverse course, acknowledge what every state has acknowledged through their lawful election processes, and that is that President-elect Biden won this election, and it's time to stop this divisive rhetoric that is encouraging and fomenting people like we saw last week in the Capitol to do the things that they're doing. The governor is also under fire for the way COVID vaccinations are happening in Florida. There's no secret that there has this has been entirely too chaotic. I, I'm um, very disappointed there hasn't been a transparent a transparent vaccination plan for for the state of Florida. But Tampa Congresswoman Kathy Castor says the situation will improve once Donald Trump is out and Joe Biden is in charge of the federal response to COVID-19. No sign of a break in the casualty count. The state health department reporting 163 more fatalities from the disease and more than 11,000 newly confirmed cases. Florida Tax Watch comes out with a new report saying Florida businesses will pay a heavy price if the legislature doesn't protect them from lawsuits over COVID-19. If employers' confidence in the economy is shaken due to the absence of a shield, we would reduce the Florida economy by as much as $28 billion of gross state product and personal income and more than 356,000 jobs. Republicans in the legislature are vowing to protect businesses from liability lawsuits, and they'll be discussing a bill this week. Unfortunately, they have shown zero interest in fixing the broken unemployment system or dealing with the flood of evictions and foreclosures that are waiting in the wings. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the latest on Florida Man, the guy photographed during the Capitol coup wearing a gun while dressed in a Punisher shirt and holding a handful of zip ties that are used for handcuffs. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, January 12th. On this date in 1861, two days after Florida joined the Confederacy, state troops demanded the surrender of Fort Pickens near Pensacola. It remained in Union hands throughout the Civil War. January 12th is also National Hot Tea Day, National Marzipan Day, National Pharmacist Day, and National Poetry at Work Day. I think we'll pass on that last one. Remember last week when Florida Republicans responded to the attempted coup in Washington by filing a bill to crack down on protests? Well, Democrats are calling BS on the bill and its backers. Representative Bobby DeBose of Fort Lauderdale says this is just a ploy to distract you from the real target of the bill, specifically the Black Lives Matter movement. Speaker Sprouse and the Republican majority uh, want us to think about last week's horrible attempted uh, insurrection in D.C. by President uh, Trump supporters when they talk about this bill. But the truth is, it was born months ago. 
uh, in response to the peaceful protests and marches across America, calling for the end of police brutality. The governor announced this terrible idea for this bill back in September. Um, while they want us to think about the nightmare we all saw in the nation's capital, we know that this bill would be absolutely deadly to our communities. We know from lifetimes of experiences who this will harm, communities of color, black and brown Floridians. This is calculated political opportunism. They want to disguise the fact that this bill will suppress the voices of communities of color and appease a fearful base who are more interested in protecting Confederate monuments than in the safety and freedom of people who look like my sons and I. Senate Democratic leader Gary Farmer of Lighthouse Point says the governor's proposal has nothing to do with what happened in Washington last week, and he's furious that Republicans are trying to use the coup to advance their own agenda. From its very inception, this bill was designed to stifle free speech through peaceful protest, most particularly members of the Black Lives Matter movement. Let's just call it what it is. That's when this bill was drafted and when the governor announced his intention to seek passage of this legislation. During a summer in which we saw peaceful protests around the country calling to light the inequitable treatment of people of black and brown color. That is what generated this bill. They wanted to stifle the ability of Americans, particularly black Americans, to engage in their constitutionally protected right to peaceful protest. Now, following the repugnant display of treason that we saw during last week's assault on our nation's capital, this bill has been rebranded and the governor's office is now saying that it's a response to that. Now, this is just a blatant attempt to obfuscate their own responsibility for that violence that occurred. My underlying point here is that the bill which we're here to discuss is in no way related to those unforgivable events that transpired last week. We already have in our criminal justice code numerous statutes that are designed to protect society and allow law enforcement officials to punish those who engage in violent acts against our democracy. Statutes like criminal anarchy, statutes like inciting insurrection. That's what occurred last week. So let us not confuse or conflate the peaceful marches that we saw throughout the summer highlighting inequitable social and criminal justice applications around this country with the violent insurrection and treason that occurred last week. These are two separate things. They should not be conflated or combined. And in fact, we do not need this statute as it would infringe upon the rights of people to peaceably protest. So I call upon my fellow legislators to oppose this bill and to call it what it is, a brazen attempt to avoid responsibility for the rise of a tyrant who orchestrated a violent siege against his own government. Representative Evan Jenny of Dania Beach says the biggest problem with that bill is that Republicans completely missed the point of the summer protests. Instead of addressing concerns about police violence, they just want to make it easier to put protesters in jail and keep them there. The thing that terrifies me most about this bill is the simple lack of empathy that it shows uh, to what the protests in Florida were about this summer. And I know we'll probably hear from some of our colleagues on the other side of the aisle that say, hey, look, uh, you know, this is about what happened in D.C. as well. Please do not 
convolute those two issues. They are wildly uh, different in how uh, they came about and what they stood for. For a group of people in power to look at the peaceful protests that took place here in this state over the summer due to the murder of George Floyd. There were no millions of dollars of damage. There weren't deaths run rampant. Uh, People's businesses were not raised and burnt to the ground. So to have this be your answer to those peaceful protests here in the state of Florida is astounding to me because of the lack of empathy that it shows from legislative leaders in the governor's office. To see hundreds of thousands of Floridians, black, white, brown, go to the streets and say, we need real change to happen and take place here in our society. And for the government's response to be, thanks for that input, we're going to make it even more illegal for what you uh, want to do, which is just simply raise your voice um, and say that we have a real problem here. Uh, The lack of empathy is astounding um, uh, from our leaders here in the state of Florida. To look at that and say the right way to respond is not, hey, there's something going on here and we need to fix this because certain citizens, and let's be honest, black citizens in the state of Florida are facing a double standard when it comes to how they move about in society and how that movement is criminalized. To simply say we're going to criminalize even more lawful behavior uh, shows just how out of touch Tallahassee is, uh, not just with their own communities, uh, but with humanity as a whole. And nowhere is that lack of empathy more obvious than in the way some high-ranking state officials have behaved since Donald Trump lost the election. That story is next. Governor Ron DeSantis was one of the first to suggest swing states where Republicans control the legislature should ignore the popular vote and give their electoral college votes to Trump. Attorney General Ashley Moody joined in a lawsuit at the U.S. Supreme Court, asking them to throw out the votes of four swing states. And both of them justified their actions by talking about fraudulent elections without offering any proof. Senator Gary Farmer says DeSantis and Moody were the ones engaging in fraud, and he says they enabled the rioters in Washington, D.C. So to see two of our constitutionally elected officers promote those theories and and, and to see the uh, Republican Attorneys General Association actually send out robocalls encouraging people to attend this rally last week, these are very troubling uh, uh, acts and, and very troubling statements uh, by Republican uh, leadership in our cabinet. We're talking about cabinet level fi- officials here. Uh, we, we, we have an amazing system of government, uh, a system of government that other countries and peoples around the world have been literally giving their lives to emulate and to adopt in their countries. And to see it disparaged and undermined with some of these tactics by, by President Trump, it, it's, just, it's, it's not just theater. It's not just social media games anymore. Uh, this is going to the fabric of our country and, 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 and undermining the greatest system of government ever uh, devised uh, by human beings. And so uh, I, I would hope that the governor and the attorney general would reverse course, acknowledge what every state has acknowledged through their lawful election processes. And that is that President-elect Biden won this election It is time for the transition of power. It should be peaceful as it has always been throughout our 250 year history. And, you know, there'll be another election in four years. They'll have another crack at this then. 
But President-elect Biden won this one, and it's time to stop this divisive rhetoric that is encouraging and fomenting people like we saw last week in the Capitol to do the things that they're doing. They're being misled into believing that this election was stolen. They were chanting, stop the steal. Nothing was stolen. It was won fairly and squarely, as Republican officials throughout the country have confirmed, as courts with a Republican-appointed judges have confirmed. It's time to stop that rhetoric. It's not just the riot in the Capitol that has lawmakers concerned. ABC News has obtained an internal bulletin from the FBI that warns of armed protests in all 50 states on the day Joe Biden is inaugurated. They're advising local police to step up security at government offices. Governor DeSantis is also taking heat for the slow pace of vaccinations in Florida. Tampa Congresswoman Kathy Castor says the Gov has bungled the rollout, but she expects things to improve after Joe Biden becomes president. The state has not provided uh, clear uh, communications or a clear plan, so we want to make sure that everyone understands what is underway right now. We have a responsibility, especially to our veterans and to underserved communities folks with disabilities and communities of color to ensure that the COVID-19 vaccine is provided in an equitable and fair way. There's no secret that there has, this has been entirely too chaotic. I, I'm um, very disappointed there hasn't been a transparent, a transparent vaccination plan for, for the state of Florida. But the good news is that um, this is all going to improve uh, in a, in shortly as the Biden transition team is already focused on a very detailed vaccination rollout plan where certain sites, local communities and states will have new federal support for these vaccination sites. Stay tuned. That's going to ramp up. We have to get uh, Joe Biden sworn in and get the transition, you know, change over from a transition team to administration. The emergency Aid package uh, passed by Congress at year end provided billions of dollars uh, for vaccination rollout for additional help uh, for state and local communities when it comes to vaccinations. So that's good news. What is vitally important now is the work that has been done already to lay that groundwork for uptake of the vaccine. Because like I said, while Florida has about 22 million residents here, We've got to get up to, to vaccinating, you know, anywhere between 15 and 20 million Floridians as soon as possible. This is an enormous effort, an unprecedented effort, and uh, we simply cannot let uh, the mistakes of the past on transparency and hiding the data uh, delay us. We've got to pull together and get this done as we see the vac vaccine roll out. Uh, it's going to get better. While the politicians trade barbs, the virus is taking more lives. The state health department reported 163 additional fatalities Monday and more than 11,500 duly confirmed cases of COVID-19. More than 1,488,000 Floridians have been infected since the start of the pandemic. Our death toll has reached 23,424. COVID has also battered the state economy, and Florida Tax Watch says companies that want to remain open need protection from COVID liability lawsuits. Tax Watch Director Dominic Calabro says 500 suits have already been filed here, and they could hobble the state's economic recovery. We see the potential for runaway litigation, very costly, frivolous suits, which would have a devastating impact on Florida across the board, but especially our businesses as they try to recover 
from global economic crisis. Safeguards today are essential to ensure that all industries across the border remain open and failure to act can have dire consequences. Very simply, here are the, here are the compelling facts of the economic study. If employers' confidence in the economy is shaken due to the absence of a shield, we would reduce the Florida economy by as much as $28 billion of gross state product and personal income and more than 356,000 jobs. More than 356,000 jobs on an annual basis. Who wants that? Nobody. Either political party, no one does. The Florida legislature should establish safeguards to protect businesses and nonprofits and government agencies and their agents and individuals from uh, liability against specific types of COVID-related claims so business can reopen uh, and uh, remain open. But make no mistake, make no mistake. It's also critical that these safeguards ensure that those who get COVID-19 because of gross negligence or intent to harm can fully recover and those bad actors are prosecuted. We need to make sure that good actors are protected and bad actors are punished. I'm encouraged that we enter the first week of legislative committee meetings. One of the first bills in each chamber is this COVID limited liability shield. Let's also remember that uh, the health crisis, just to walk into a federal lawsuit is so costly and pays the price. Bill Hurley with the National Federation of Independent Businesses says the big corporations will do just fine. He's worried about the smaller family owned firms that don't have attorneys and deep pockets. I represent small independent business owners and over a quarter of small business owners are indicating to us that they may not be in business another six months from now if some conditions don't improve. Since the very outset of this pandemic, small business owners have been making COVID-driven management decisions every day. Every day, they're making dozens of decisions based on their good faith effort to follow government-issued public health standards. In doing so, they're keeping our economy alive. In doing so, they need to know that the state has their back. To this moment, it doesn't. And that's why it is so urgent that these liability protections are passed at the earliest opportunity uh, by the legislature. I do want to commend legislative leaders for bringing a strong bill forward. And we look forward to working with them, demonstrating to them uh, that uh, this bill is, is something necessary for our economy and needs to be passed at the earliest opportunity. We've seen uh, over 500 uh, liability cases so far, so far. I assure you that that is just the tip of the iceberg. And small business owners have great apprehension going into 2021 uh, that they all these continued acts that they're taking every day to keep their businesses open uh, are leaving them more and more vulnerable to lawsuits. Lawmakers say they are not trying to protect businesses that put their own people at risk by ignoring COVID safety standards. However, critics of the immunity bill say the way it's written could make it just about impossible for anyone to sue. A busy calendar today. The Senate Children, Families and Elder Affairs Committee meets at 9 to hear from the people who run the Department of Children and Families, the Agency for Persons with Disabilities, the Department of Elder Affairs and the Department of Revenue. The Senate Criminal Justice Committee meets at 9 for an overview of the state criminal justice system. The Senate Education Committee meets at 9 to talk about private school vouchers in K-12 and financial aid programs for college and university students. 
The USDA updates its forecast for the citrus season at noon. Trustees at the University of South Florida meet online at 1230. The Senate Military and Veterans Affairs Space and Domestic Security Committee meets at 1230. They'll hear presentations from the Department of Veterans Affairs, Enterprise Florida, and the Division of Emergency Management. The Senate Banking and Insurance Committee receives presentations about the rising cost of property insurance at 3.30, and the Senate Transportation Committee meets at 3.30 to discuss that new law requiring construction of three toll roads that would cost billions of dollars in Florida. A Florida man charged with participating in the Capitol riot and stealing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's lectern has been released on bond. 36-year-old Adam Johnson Parrish has to wear an ankle monitor and cannot leave home between 9 at night and 6 in the morning. He was also forced to surrender his passport and cannot possess firearms. Johnson was busted after a picture of him holding the lectern went viral. Now, you may have also seen a photo of a rioter known as the Zip Tie Guy who was armed, wore a Punisher shirt, and was holding a handful of those plastic handcuffs. 30-year-old Eric Munchell lives in Nashville, but two years ago, he was a Florida man. His former employer, Doc Ford's Rum Bar and Grill in Fort Myers Beach, has released a statement distancing the seafood restaurant from the suspect, who worked there as a bartender. And finally today, federal and state wildlife officials are searching for the Florida man who scratched the name Trump on the back of a manatee. It was spotted over the weekend swimming at Blue Hole in Homosassa River. Manatees are protected under federal and state laws that make it illegal to harass, hunt, capture, or kill the marine mammals. Anyone who violates the state law could face a $500 fine and up to 60 days in the county jail. But conviction on the federal level? Well, that could mean a fine of up to $50,000 and as much as one year in prison. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we continue to plumb the depths of Florida politics. Thank you.